Hello, everyone. I'm Jen, and welcome to another episode of Monogamish Pod. Now, May may be masturbation month, which should definitely excite some people. You should be masturbating every day in May. Just saying. It sounds like it's good for you. It's good for the youths. But that's not what the episodes this month are about. May is also Mental Health Awareness Month, and I have two amazing episodes coming your way. This week's episode is with Marjani Lane, talking about their journey into polyamory, her personality disorders, and how they affect her polyamorous life. I mean, this conversation kind of goes into other directions as well. We end up talking about what kind of animal she would be based on her personality. She does tell me it's a marine animal. That's all I will tell you. Y'all can guess. And there are also some difficult topics that are covered in this episode. We do have some conversations about military sexual trauma and rape and sexual assault. There's also direct discussion about suicide, but mostly in reference to Robin Williams. We're not talking details of suicidal acts, but we do also discuss intrusive thoughts in relation to suicidal and homicidal ideation related to certain mental illnesses. Those are the top content warnings for this episode. None of these things are discussed in detail, so you're not going to hear any specifics about certain things. But just for people who need that content warning, there it is. There's also a lot of technical difficulties this episode. The internet was interneting, the software was softwareing, technology was just technologying. So there are going to be some audio leveling issues with the episode. If you're watching this video on YouTube, there will be a point in time when I am frozen. I don't look horrible in it or anything, but I will be frozen. <laughs> so that I've given you the content warnings, told you who we're talking about, what we're going to be talking about, and apologizing for technology things. Let's dive into the episode with Marjani Lane. Welcome to Monogamish Pod. I'm Jen, your fabulous host. And today with me, I have Marjani Lane, who loves cream pies because they're like yogurt. (laughs) I mean, that's not what she's here to talk about, but that is something that we happen to discuss just in getting to know each other on this podcast, the things that you learn about others. So... Y'all know me, so I'm going to let Marjani tell you a little bit about themselves just to kickstart things, and then I'm going to dive deep into their, I don't want to say crevices, that just, just that just sounds like creepy and rude now. Yes, so once again, you guys know me as Marjani Lee, but my name is Ebony. I am a polyamorous queer person that lives in Hawaii. I will be leaving soon, thankfully. I've been creating the polyamorous content with a focus and. and arguably also non-monogamous content with the focus and representation of Black bodies. Um, that's been really important to me for the past 10 years. I mean, polyamorous will just, well, I guess it's about 11 and 10 years now. Marjorie Lane, as you guys know about Instagram, I've been doing it for two and a half, two years now, going on a half years. I, I really focus on the representation of Black bodies because we're not represented. And I always want to give a touch of that culture, like when it comes to the reels, come to the language, because we've been not allowed at the table for so long. And we're at the table where you should expect to fall, fall into place. And I don't think that's appropriate. So I want a space where we can see ourselves, see the language, and see how the language relates to us. Yes. And I have to tell you that I was never big on, like, non-monogamous social media. So when I started using it for social media, which is mostly just for this podcast, to be honest, like keeping it like 3,000, you're one of the first accounts that I found. And I followed. And I was like, oh, shit, they got Black people in this joint. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> because for so long you're taught polyamory is some white people shit. Like only the white people are making money from this or doing this thing and or like having the podcast and all that stuff. So I was definitely trying to find more polyamorous content specifically because I don't know. I also found a lot of like black people tend to go more non-monogamous space and not as much polyamorous, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, okay, Marjani's got some cool stuff. All right. And that kind of opened my world up because of course I did the thing everyone should do, which is that if you find someone you like, who's creating content you like, you look at who they're following and see what's happening there. <laughs> that was like super important to me. So coming into an online space, practicing polyamory, being open about that, it was like, all right, who are the people I like following? Because clearly those people are also cool. And even if they're not for me, I will meet other people who are doing things that I want to know about. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. So what started your journey into non-monogamy? Is it something you've always wanted since you were a child? Or is it something you grew into as you started to know more about yourself and relationships? I feel like I sometimes people ask, do I feel like polyamory or non-monogamy as general term here, right? Is it an identity or something you do? And I've always, I'm like a really probably located gatekeeper of like, I think it's identity. I feel like my polyamory is where it came to my sexuality. And I say that to the fact that when I was in middle school is when I started really understanding sexuality, like for myself, and I felt attracted to men and women on the binary scale. I had not really perceived further into like transness and queerness. I was kind of like confused. If I like both of them, I got to pick one. I like, I got to pick one. Or uh, even going to college, when I started getting more exposed to transness and queer identity, I was like, okay, I like all these people. Okay, if I find someone, no matter who they, I don't really think about the gender as much. I'm not saying I'm colorblind or genderblind. I'm not saying that at all. But if I like someone and they're attracted to me, I'm okay. I, I don't care who they are. I don't care what pronouns they use or how they go about. I don't even care what equipment they have downstairs, if there's any at all. That's not really important to me. So I think that I would, I've always said like, like maybe a year into college is when I started dabbling into swinging. But I would say my concept, my thought process of like liking more than one person was definitely middle school, high, early high school. As far as like acting, acting on these things was college when I was 19. And I would start off dabbling in a BSM fetish and also swinging as a unicorn. That's when I got supposed to polyamory, like actually the word and seeing, you know, people come in with three people and then they will leave together. And I'm like, oh, they're, they're all together? Like, yeah, like they do that, like y'all can be together. Like, like I've seen it, but it's always been like, very white Mormon hyper-focused on that or people who just don't look like me. Like I, even my perception of polygyny was, I didn't even think of polygyny in terms of West Africa. I thought polygyny in terms of once again, white Mormons. And so mm -hmm. it was very much how I got, I would say exposed, but I felt like I was always there. I just didn't have a language for it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. As someone who wanted a husband and wife when she was six years old, I totally get that. <laughs> that just made sense to me. I always knew that I liked boys and girls and I, it made sense to have both. Like, ¿Por qué no los dos? Like, what's happening? And he's... <laughs> right. I don't speak Spanish, so sorry to offend anyone who does, because I really don't. I didn't pay attention to my Spanish classes in school. Well, <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. So, of course, we have the idea, like, this is who you are. This is not something you can really separate from any kind of romantic journey that you've had in life, because you've always been formulating in the mm. back of your mind. So would you say your queerness kind of was something you acknowledge like at that point in time? Is that what started the genesis for you? Or have you also just kind of always felt? Again, we talked about middle school being like a defining moment, but mm. do you think of any moments prior to that where you were kind of like, hmm, maybe? Towards my queerness or the polyamory? Yeah, the queerness. My queerness was definitely something I felt well before 
uh, middle school. Once I've gotten older and I've played, there's actually a real idea where there's a, a queer person speaking and they're doing a poem about like feeling, want to be a little pirate, like a little boy, but also want to be pretty like a boy and like all these different things. And it definitely is something that I have always felt. My mother, I always say this and people think it's like crazy and say that my mother did not raise me with gender roles or gender identities. She was saying, this is my daughter. Um, she, whatever, but my mother never was like, you had to play the Barbie dolls. Like I had Barbie dolls, I put on chocolate trucks and I pushed down much. That was like what I would do. That was a thing. Predominantly, most of my friends growing up were boys, but my mom's focus wasn't necessarily on my gender, but she was always going about, always my child to be an adult, not a, my daughter to be a wife, but it's stupid. Like I just find that it was illogical. And so I think even in elementary school, it was, it was playful because we're really children. And also I was in an inner city community where a lot of that policing with gender, while it, while it was happening, my mother was like not letting that shit happen with her. That was dead. You could not come to her and tell her that your daughter is not dressing this way. That is, she would slap the fuck out of you. In middle schools, when I got more exposed to things like gender performance and what that looked like, girls wearing makeup and me not really being an addict. I was wearing, I was, I was like legit wearing the same identical outfits as my brother. I would see something, like I would wear the same thing he's wearing, like G Unit or uh, Tom Hilfiger. I want to wear the same masculine outfit. So for me, when I saw we were so focused on gender, I was like, wow, like, I really don't fit into this space. And I don't see why it's okay if this is their, if it's their jam, but it felt like it was like, you have to be in this space. I'm like, I don't really like this space. It really fit for me. So I will say that my queerness, I felt was a little bit earlier, earlier than that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So we've seen the earlier, we've seen the beginnings. So what was your first polyamorous dynamic like? Because of course you started with swinging. But like when you made that transition into polyamory, what was your first dynamic? It was absolutely horrible. It was a nightmare. It was disgusting. It was like probably now that I'm older, I'll probably like slap the dirt off someone's mouth. I should have done it then. <laughs> Not promoting violence, guys. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying that in hindsight, I was a unicorn. And I say unicorn for a reason for this word. Okay. I was a unicorn or a poly triad. To be clear, if I was really doing, there were really polyamorous people trying to do a polyamorous triad, I would not have been a unicorn. I would have been another partner. They had not a unicorn. And they had uh, a lot of rules, a lot of rules. The, the wife was very, like the nightmare wife. You don't want to believe it until it happens. Like the nightmare wife, like you can't do this. You can't. Like I got one of my funny, haha, real TikToks. It's like, oh yeah, here's all my rules. Those are rules. I'm saying those rules based upon like legit what was being told to me at one point. Like you can't kiss my husband in the mouth. You can't do... You will prefer you do position. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I made a face. For people who are listening who did not see my face, I implore you to go to the YouTube channel and watch my reaction to that. But I will just say that this face, you cannot, you're in a triad, but you cannot kiss my husband on the mouth. You cannot kiss your boyfriend on the mouth. No. Because his wife said so. Yeah. Yeah, and I even questioned it because I was like, it was again, I'm like, this time I might be 20, creeping into 20. And this is probably like a back and forth between me. Like, also, I'm saying, guys, I was not an ethical person. I was not navigating polyamory consensually in some form or fashion. I at some point was cheating on partners I had. So, so make sure I put that background there. So if you ever go to my me personally, hey, I remember you were dating so and so that time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true statement. I was cheating. With that said, uh, it was disturbing. I was like, yo, this is why, like, why would you feel like this is appropriate? It was a lot of unevenness and I felt more like an object for a remedy or something. Even like the connections I would have with the wife 
I thought was stress. Also, to be clear, this has happened. This happened three times. I did three. I did, I did close triad three times. Third triad, I really three times charm. I realized this ain't the new for me. But that was my transition. And I realized for me, especially that close anything was absolutely out of question, out of pocket. It was not going to work for me. It would never work for me. And so that's why I like started transitioning out of that space. I think because it was the only thing I knew. And a lot of people who were openly non-monogamous or openly polyamorous in some form of fashion were people in their late 30s or early 40s. And truth be told, nothing against anyone, nothing against anyone, but a 40-year-old couple had no business dating a 20-year-old girl. I don't care who says, I don't care. I don't care. They had no business dating me. No one did. I'm sorry. I mm-hmm. I could barely, I didn't have a car. Come on now. Come on now. Like I was in college. Yeah. So I just felt like in some form of fashion, there was some grooming going on or excuse me, say, there was some attempted grooming going on. Because of the way I think, it's not really easy to groom me. That was something that I realized and I moved on from there. I, I just cannot. Okay, let me say it this way. I do believe that a lot of people who start engaging non-monogamously and polyamorously while single end up in a closed triad or some version of a triad in the early stages. Mm-hmm. That tends to be like a formative relationship of sorts. And so for me, I can definitely say I ended up in a closed triad at a period of time because I had a girlfriend, she had a boyfriend, then we just kind of decided to just close the V and make it a triangle. And then it turned into a thing where he was dissatisfied with the girlfriend. And so we went on like solo dates, which was not a problem for her. But then I felt uncomfortable because he was confiding a bit too much. It was a bit too kitchen table-y for me, right? Yeah, yeah, not the pillow talk. <laughs> it was it, the, the pillow talk, bad talking, our girlfriend. It was a little weird, but I was already like dissatisfied with my relationship with her anyway. So she and I stopped seeing each other. So we became a V where instead of her being the anchor, it was now him being the anchor. And that turned into a whole different dynamic. But then they broke up and it, then we had the threesome after everyone had broken up with everyone. And that was messy because... They say don't fuck exes for a reason. I was 18. I didn't know better. Okay? (laughs) I was 18. She was 17. He was 28. So he definitely didn't know better. Oh, oh. Ain't no way. Listen, a lot of messes. A lot of messes. And I freely admit my fuck-ups in polyamory. Because you don't really... I don't really think you're practicing polyamory until you fucked your whole life up at least once. (laughs) Okay? You gotta be be like, singing. do I have two heartbreaks right now? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Some shit's going on. So I can definitely speak to that triad being a formative experience moment where you're, this is definitely what I want, but not like this. Yeah. It would just make it like different, like, mm-hmm. get a little yeah. different. Feel this. Yeah. So I, I just have to say I relate a lot to this. And just like you said, 40-year-olds have no business dating 20-year-olds. 28-year-olds have no business dating 18-year-olds. Sorry, we're not in the same. We're not even in the same, like, age group when you check it on forms. Okay? Like... I can't rent a car by myself. I've ever rent a hotel with myself a car by myself. Like, I can't even get a rent, rent a car. I gotta ask you for help. Like, no. Yeah, no. very well. <laughs> we've all been there, I think. As women, especially, we've all kind of been in that moment. I'm not sure about what men have to deal with because I'm not a man. I'm sorry, I don't know. Sometimes I think about having more men on the podcast, and then I'm like, mm, no, thank you. I always feel like having men talk sometimes because you don't know how it's gonna go. And you're like, I really don't wanna have to do this right now. Like, I know it's yeah. That. Like, I'm like, I, sometimes I'm like, when I come in a, like a chat or like a little clubhouse chat and people are talking, I'm like, I really don't want this man to talk because I'm really fearful that he's going to say something and I got to come out my bag. I see that, like, put old Johnny down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. So that's your first relationship. So how are you living and loving now? Just so we can see the difference between where you were then and where you are now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so currently I am in a relationship with my primary who is a monogamous person. So it's a monopoly style relationship. My focus right now, which is why I'm irritated people keep hitting me up. Other right now is to, I'm in a really strong tradition stage right now. I'm leaving Hawaii. I am changing. Like I actually feel like this is like a really strong tradition as, as far as like coming out of the military two years ago. I'm still unpacking that. Um, I have PTSD from then. So like I'm still trying to pack what the military a whole, like the whole mindset is really hard to unpack. And I'm trying to prepare myself for actually like boots on ground, like in my career industry, which is probably going to be the real industry as well as transition to a new state. There's a lot of things going on right now. So I don't even want to think about anything else other than what I got to do. And obviously my partner too. Usually as far as like my availability, like what I do, I'm not currently dating. That's just a personal choice at some point that may come up. It may not come up. I don't know. Like when I say come up, I may or may not do it within the next two or three years. It really depends upon my stress levels. I just came out of, I had a double breakup last year. Actually, I'm lying to you, a triple breakup. A triple breakup. I had four partners one time. I broke up with three. Broke up with three. One broke up with me. And I was dating my primary. And so, yeah, I just really don't have the energy right now. I have to really unpack. Really unpack kind of like where I'm at and like what wrong, I guess you'd say. Because these are serious. <clears throat> these are serious relationships. Very long term. Somewhere four and, a five, four and a half, five years going on. That's where I'm at now. And I'm really happy that I've... The biggest thing for me was transitioning from Bass to now was realizing that my polyamory is my identity, not something I do. So I felt a lot of, and not animosity, but some type of ways to myself about not having multiple parts like I've had for the past four or five years, like at least three partners on hand. And I realized, does that make me polyamory, polyamorous? But does that really make me polyamorous? Is that, is that what defines polyamory? And is it me actually actively having multiple partners at one time? And so turning it from a verb to an identity for myself. Um, so that kind of has helped me a lot. I really don't want to date anyone else right now. Like, I don't really feel like it. I have the ability to. I have more than the capability of doing so. But it's more so I really need to focus on what's going on in my life. I think a big downfall of my polyamory in my past few years was I wasn't able to focus on the things I need to get done because I was focusing on my partners, which is not, if that's how you work, that's fine. But for me, because of the way my brain works, I can't, I got to prioritize certain things first. So I think once I get in a more subtle, com- comfortable position, I may feel more comfortable navigating different spaces. Um, shoot, I could break it with him right now and I'll be tapped to still focus on what I gotta do. You gotta eat, guys. <laughs> so that's something that I've been really working on for myself lately as far as my polyamorous journey. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think the pandemic has brought a lot of breakups, like, in a lot of ways. And I was having a conversation with someone about this earlier, how some people are actively just completely doing a personality shift, so to speak. Like the pandemic has happened. They've had some trauma, of course, as a part of the worldwide scale trauma that we've had going on right now with this whole COVID situation, which is mm-hmm. still not over. By the way, I have to probably remind people of this. The pandemic is not oh, actually over. With your mask. So there's that. <laughs> um, but also like people are doing a lot of like self-interrogation and kind of figuring out what is and what isn't working for them. I think the pandemic caused a lot of circles to tighten smaller and required people to genuinely think wow is this relationship fulfilling me or not and as someone who like who's been broken up with i'm sure it's devastating to find out yeah yeah this is not working and then as someone doing the breaking up it's also devastating in a different way shit this is not working and i love this person so much but i can't and mm, we have to have a conversation about polyamorous breakups on the podcast one day because maybe (laughs) yeah i do feel like the the pandemic definitely bother upon especially with my focus of like my transition with my career. I saw like I had a breakup with one part, actually my ex-primary, and it was rooted in my success, let's be honest. I was a narcissist person with a narcissist personality disorder. 
I have my own personal disorder, which is very focused on myself as well, but not narcissistic. And I was not going to bend the knee for my success. I'm never going to do that. If I'm doing great, I'm not going to stop doing great because you will feel comfortable about it. And so that was something that really had to pop. Like I had never really had to process that. I have heard about other black women and black feminists dealing with that for cishet men. And then to have to experience it twice, I did happen in 2020 and in 2021. I was like, oh yeah, I got it filter y'all out more. I gotta figure out how to filter this out because I can't have that. I can't I can't have someone filter what because I make more money than more money than them or because I'm a an influencer in polyamory. I just don't feel comfortable with that. That's not conducive to my life. Like I don't have time for me to be weird about it or feel like that I need to like I don't know, drop something to be more palatable for you. I don't know. Is it something that's mm-hmm. something I realized was really big that I realized during the pandemic, um, which is still going on. Yeah. Thank you. Listen. I, so many podcasts are out there talking about women are not high value if they make too much money or if they don't need a man and all these things. And I'm like, and a high value woman does this. And I'm just like, what's going to happen is I'm going to have my fucking wine and my food and my beef. I'm actually tonight, I'm going to have a beef Wellington. Okay. And some garlic mashed potatoes with some goat cheese and some mixed vegetables. And if that means I'm a high value woman, I'm too good for men. And so motherfucking be it. I don't care. I am not that part. chicken sandwiches off the street because you want to feel better about your masculinity. It's dead. It's dead. I'll be okay. <laughs> Brother Karan Corvette, then on the bus stop. It's okay. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it's okay. So when I hear that, I, I that is something I think has blossomed out very disgustingly, thanks to the uh, the, the cult of chaos. And so it is something I think that would affect it by a private partner. And that's okay. Sure. We'll find another one. There's always one. <laughs> Yeah, there's always more. Like we always talk about with men, like, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Yeah, there, there are lots of other men out there too. You know that, right? There are men who actually don't mind when their partner makes more money than them. There are men who want to be sugar babies to like <laughs> high value women. Like they'll come knocking on your door. Mm-hmm. So I'll be okay. Completely fine. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned you had a personality disorder. Are you able to talk a bit more about that? Your partner, yeah, narcissistic person is hard to navigate yeah. with. Yeah. So they're, they're they're hard to deal with, I think. Because of my, I have two personality disorders. I have a uh, diagnosed OCPD, which is obsessive compulsive personality disorder, not to be confused with OCD. OCD is more like rituals and stuff like that. OCPD, mm-hmm. think more like if it's not my way, like the control freak or like the, yeah, uh, all the lists and stuff. Like that is like the, the OCPD. That definitely is something that was born out of my childhood for sure. ACPD, excuse me, ASPD. Geez, ASPD is antisocial personality disorder, which is. Not as famously known as, famously known as a sociopath or a psychopath. That one is interesting because of the fact that there's so many statements of that, that when people hear me say that, unless they really know me personally, they don't, they can't really understand how that like works. They like, don't look like someone who's a sociopath. I'm like, what does one look like? Like, what does a sociopath look like? Like, I, I would like to know. Like, I think people think of their, the heinous, like social, like the heinous, like the guy that goes to a mall and kills people at a mall. That's not a sociopath or a person AC, ASPD, unless their diagnosis is different. Typically, if someone has ASPD, it's not going to be going to a mall and killing everyone at one shooting. It might be, it's closer to someone who's a serial killer. Yes, I can, I can agree with mm-hmm. that. But someone who goes and do something out of like anger because they're sad because someone hurt their feelings, that's a distinctly different thing. That's a distinctly thing, whatever. ASPD, typically we don't really do good with societal rules uh, or expectations or like laws. We tend to break the law. I'm not going to say anything there, but we're all for it. It's no one's business, but it is what it is. We have a hard time with standing, dealing, or being within like society as far as like how society goes. 
I will argue a lot of mine is rooted in like pleasantries and like expectations. I don't feel like I need to tell mm-hmm. you more for why. Like everyone's like, let's every, it's easy. I know it gets deep to the point like you can just tell me like and it sounds bad. I said you can tell me that your loved one just passed away. I'm just gonna look at you. If I unmasked, if I wasn't masking, which is masking, if you guys know me, I'm masking different people with different personality disorders or disabilities may mask and masking essentially putting on a face to fit in the space that they're in, right? To cover or hide what's going on. My masking is done predominantly as what as my friend used to call me, the path of least resistance. My masking can be a form of manipulation and my masking can be a form of just me not having to go to HR that day, right? I like my job, I like money. So I'd rather not go to HR and lose my job because I told you I don't give a fuck about what happened to your family. Bro. I can't say that, I can't say that. And for me, it's hard to hear that sometimes that's considered a disorder because I don't see it as bad. I just feel like you shouldn't take that that deep. Like, why do you care mm-hmm. that I need to care about that? So it is something that is difficult. We usually say that we have no empathy. That's not true. I have low empathy. A lot of my empathy is learned as in like I've had to get counseling or deal with therapy to mask empathy. Oh, I'm sorry that your love will pass away. I may not feel that way. And people may take that as how they would take it. I don't care. I don't care. Like truth be told, most people don't really feel, I don't really believe that most people walk around, oh yeah, I care, I care. I just don't, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. Okay, I just don't have, I just think it's weird to believe that true lie. That's a lie. And also it is, there's days where I just really don't want to be around. Like, it's, it gets to the point where I don't, I actually don't like people. I don't like being around people. I don't like, uh, like I, I have isolated myself sometimes at work to where I don't have to be around anyone because the masking is incredibly draining. Like I shouldn't have to tell you anything. I should tell you good morning. I really don't care. Like, but what I will say, having my disorder makes me incredibly great at my job. I am not uh, connected to things that happen. A yes, air controller and as a train dispatcher supervisor. A train could derail, plane could crash. You will not see me freaking out because I am not attached to anything in that aircraft. I only care about making sure I get this. What I got to do my next step. And that's why you read some books like um. There's a book I got. I don't know what it's called, but essentially saying that. Uh, a lot of doctors, lawyers, CEOs have ASPD. They're known or psychopaths or sociopaths. We mm-hmm. call them a day. There's a reason for that. <laughs> There's a reason for that. And yeah, it's a lot. It's just so much. It's a spectrum. I want to say it's a spectrum. Not all of us are out committing crimes openly and then going to prison. It does not mm-hmm. look the same for everybody. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks so much for explaining that because yeah. I was going to be like, oh, like the dude in like that movie, like Patrick Bates, Bateman in that movie. I got it. Not wrong. Not wrong. Yeah. Not all the way. He's a spectrum. He's the end of, I always say this about mental illnesses or mental disorders or anything. Everything's a spectrum. Anyone could do anything within the range of their mental disorder or their mental illness, wherever it's. Everyone can do what he did. I don't care. Anyone, anyone could be that person, right? But it also depends what your what your urge is. Like I have to say that sometimes people with HPD we hyper focus on some things. So like my hyper focus is comfort. <laughs> if I don't want to do it, I will go to many means necessary to not do it. Even if it means you go home and cry yourself to sleep that night, I don't care. So that is something. That's my focus. So his focus was some other shit. So like you know, <laughs> yeah, other shit. So you gotta kind of think of that. Also, people with HPD are tend tend to because they like hyper focus. They would do whatever they can to not get caught in the hyper focus. That's why I argue like people go to the mall and kill a thousand people. Well, not a thousand people. It's a lot from Dickless number. Okay, but the, the, like the, the after shooters. Not saying that there's someone who's not ASPD out there. I'm not saying it's not, but it's just not a very strong trend for us. 
Mm-hmm. It's a bit too public. It's a bit too. It doesn't preserve what you're trying to do. Like, if I'm not trying mm-hmm. to get caught, why would I go do something that would get me caught? Yeah, like, you're right. I don't, I don't know, and I want to make it dark like that. But I'm trying to give people some introspection, uh, introspective of, of what is actually going on in my head, and it's not. That seems more related to me, like someone who's narcissist who's having a narcissistic injury. But like, who am I? I'm not a psychologist. So, so yes, I preface: we are not therapists. This is an edutainment. So there's some education, but it is partly entertaining. There's that element to it as well. So we cannot technically diagnose anyone. If anything that Marjani slash Ebony said resonated with you, definitely something to talk about with your therapist because we are not the ones. What you do is move aircraft and move a car. So, I, I think my driver's license expired, so I'm not even licensed to do that. Look at this. See, that, see, that actually is a behavior of someone who's ASPD. We ignore laws. We do. No, this is actually like a genetic. I thought about when it, it took me three years to believe these doctors because I was like, no, you fucking lying. But it was things like, I don't have registration. I'll keep my registration update. I don't. I was driving my license for a bit of time because I didn't care. Because I didn't see the point. That was the point of my fault. There's a lot of things that we list out that I don't need list. I will not list out for obvious reasons that I just didn't give a fuck about. And these may be some like minor infractions for you guys, but if you get if you get pulled over with no insurance, no license, no registration, no fucking thing, you're going to jail, brother. <laughs> you, you're going down, buddy. I didn't give a fuck. I just didn't see the point. Like, what was the point of me even caring about that? Why do I care? Now I care because I realize, oh, that's going to pee me for having my before attention tonight. That's literally what my therapist did, my psychologist did. I know it sounds crazy. One of the just tons of therapy that is available. One you have to be interested in therapy. My interest in therapy was what was my focus and how can I continue doing that thing? I cannot if I get pulled over and go to jail, I can't have a beef with tonight. So I should probably get my license and registration and insurance done. I know that sounds absolutely trivial the way I put it that way, guys, but that's literally how my brain thinks. Why should I follow this rule? And that's a benefit. So that's pretty much my brain. <laughs> yeah, no, but that sense to me. But I have not been diagnosed with yeah. ASPD. I only have anxiety and depression, apparently. So only those two. Not any kind of personality stuff, according to my last therapist, anyway. We'll see. I'll tell you. It's so interesting, like, when you really think about some of these things and, like, certain personality disorders and how they can show up in your life, the kind of motivations you have to do things or not do things depending on what the case may be. So how does this affect your dating life? As a polyamorous person, one would think that based on what you've described, if the only way using your example was like, hey, if I get pulled over and go to jail, I can't have my beef Wellington. How do you translate that into polyamorous relating? Is it that your partners are a focus in some way or like preserving that relationship is a focus in some way? This might be like a very vague, large question that I haven't distilled down properly yet, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can pick up a little bit of what I'm putting down. That's a hard one because of the fact that in some forms of fashion, it will require me to take off a mask. That would not necessarily, I think, would be appropriate for me. And from form of fashion, that's why I say like masking is really deep for people who have ASPD. It can get dark really quickly. I will say that it hasn't, how it affects my dating is people think they can handle it. They think that they understand. They think that they don't, one, the first thing is they don't believe it because I seem to be pretty much acting like a normal person, which I, for the most part, I'm a normal person. I don't seem to act pretty normal to myself. Like I do things that I enjoy going to Starbucks. People who are so sociopaths, I hate using that word too much because it like triggers his mind, don't not get coffee. Wait, we don't like go eat food. We don't like, yeah, we might have a lot of friends, but like we're not like, in the basement building bombs like the fuck yeah i don't know so that's one thing and then when it flexes when i flex that's when people see it like it's usually 
with my partners, I would prefer to not wear my mask. Okay. But when things happen, like disagreements or if they act out of turn, I say out of turn, let me take care of that. I had an ex partner that I found out was a sex offender for 2020. I found 2019. I felt like someone was 2019 and then I found 2020. And he flexed. He flexed. And I make a joke about it, but like your personality, your per, you as a person is not going to compete against this personality. So just don't even do that because I will take it there because I'm fully aware. Like I'm not like, I'm not unaware. I'm not going through mania. I'm not, no, this is me. And he flexed and I flexed back and I completely did what I would do. Now that has a very short range. You can go from, uh, and then people were telling me that's not appropriate. Like it's rude. You're being immature and da 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 freaking out. Like, do you have to put this man's life out there? I don't care. And, and people say that this is your loved one. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that I, I had less love for them, but my getting over it is a little better for me. It's a little quicker, a little easier than probably the average person. But it also depends on how I see that person. So it's not hard. It's just people try to challenge it. And like, they don't believe it. Like, they don't understand. Like, yeah, I really want to be able to take my mask off of you, but don't forget that I'm still, I still have this personality disorder. So don't say stuff and then be surprised I have a disconnection or I'm like reacting. Like sometimes I like a lot of, especially this head men do things to women or feminine people and they think it's okay. And I'm like, no, bro, like I, I will knock a spit out your mouth. That is a big thing that ASPD has a very strong correlation of violence. Like that is something that I've had to really unwork with for, for some time now. And that's why I was saying one time a few weeks ago about the, there's a thin line, if there is a line, between uh, domestic abuse and violence and personality disorders as far as abusive behavior. So abusive behavior, that's just someone being abusive or someone has personality disorder. Where is the line met? And that's something that I'm really big deal. I don't think that my personality disorder is an excuse, so, so to speak, but I'm aware that's the range. So what am I gonna mm -hmm. do about it? So that's something that I think has affected me because a lot of times I go straight to 100,000. I've done a lot of coping mechanisms and understood it's not always necessary. Dating, I think I for the most part, a lot of people think that I'm just joking. Like they think I'm just like kicking or something. And then something happens and they're like, you didn't react. Well, I thought you were like, why would I react to that? Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I know it's difficult to talk about these things in this way. So I appreciate all the vulnerability that you're giving in this moment, because I, these are things that I think a lot of people, like you said, they think you're joking or they don't think about in a certain way. And then when it pops up, they're like, oh, wait, maybe this is real. Yeah. <laughs> what does that yeah. look like? And what does that feel like? Are there any, well, okay, I'm going to ask a hard question, but you're also free to say no. Mm. You left the military a couple of years ago. Do mm. you feel as if your personality disorder assisted you in being successful in some ways in the military? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I haven't had to really put sit down with a psychologist to break down when they thought it emerged. A lot of the thoughts that was coming out of typically ASPD comes out of the childhood, but I didn't display some of the behaviors that people would think children would display for ASPD in childhood. I wasn't like beating kids up. Like I wasn't like doing that type of shit. But in my adulthood, you see, it's something that is interesting. I feel like it was not like in remission. I think it was always there, but from like the socialization, of what women are supposed to do definitely affect that. As far as getting out of the military, transitioning, of course, I still have traumas. That doesn't go away. That has nothing to do with my ASPD, but in a sense, like PTSD, all that stuff, depression, anxiety. But it definitely makes me a little less, I'm really good at what I do. 
I said that. I'm really good at what I do. So things go left. Someone can get, even like when I go apply a job, someone get hit by a train. I will not be the one screaming in a room. I know that I think that makes me mm-hmm. freak out because it's something we can visually see in our cameras. I will be like, that's cool, man. Let's keep going. Like, it's not, and I'm not desensitized. That's not even, I'm not desensitized. That's, that's something that has to, I'm not, I can't feel empathy for something I cannot relate to. I need to get by a train. You should have been in front of a train. Like that, and that sounds terrible when I say that, but if you guys, even if you know my page, a lot of things I relate to are things that I, all things I talk about are things I can actually relate to. I cannot identify with some things. If I don't identify with it, it makes it more difficult for me to create. It even still, I still feel like a witness of myself. So I think me having my job and sticking to a job like transportation and like those higher operation jobs, high risk, high quick, fast, in a hurry, very dangerous. I do very well because I don't have to process the pleasantries. Oh my goodness, what happened? I don't know, bro. This has to do with me. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> that's facts though. That, that's that's really facts. So I, I get that. Like people really invest themselves. And that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Just as well as there's good extra controllers who are very invested in the well being of their pilots. And there's people like me who are invested in making sure the pilot, the plane lands. I same round. Same round. Just I just have a different thought process about it. Like Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. That's that's why I was like, it's like to be a difficult question because I don't want you to dive into things that you're not allowed to disclose, like with your service and stuff. I would just, just generally, do you yeah, think yeah, that yeah. this helps? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. And so we've also talked about you having PTSD. It's PTSD, like, MST, military sexual trauma. Okay, gotcha. Having to deal with those sorts of things as well. I'm sure that relating with people can be difficult having to navigate those things because you can be... I don't like to use the word trigger sometimes, but you can't, you, certain feelings can be activated mm-hmm. when things happen in the world. And so I can imagine as a survivor of sexual trauma, not military related, because thankfully they didn't allow locks at the time and mm-hmm. I was unfit. But, you know, there's a lot of things that went to me yeah. not going to the military, but those are two things. And so there are some things sometimes, like some ways that people will speak or things that people will do that can create certain reactions in me that I didn't see coming even Mm -hmm. over a decade later after the incident. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that, and by imagine, I know that navigating polyamorously at times can activate certain feelings that happens. And Mm -hmm. so has that happened to you recently in recent times? I will say not really. Well, I'll say recent. I think recently, like the last three or four months. We'll say the last year then. The last year, yes, the last year then up to like this year. Like last year, I have a partner, ex my ex partner, ex primary suffered with issues with drug abuse, inclusive of alcohol and cocaine, and he had a flashback. He had PTSD, common PTSD. He had a flashback. His flashback. He thought I was in Afghanistan with him, which I was fine, but we were at we were at at his house, and he proceeded to restrain me. Now. This is a very cryptic situation because you have two people who have PTSD freaking the fuck out. Okay. Not that my PTSD is continuing doing his. So he thinks because it's, it's New Year's, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, the smell of the like the firework powder, the popping sound. I hadn't known that he was triggered all night. I had no idea. But I should have realized he was drinking more. Why is it was New Year's Eve? I didn't think he was doing that because of the fireworks. No, no, no. My man was having a full flashback. Had a full flashback. He thinks we're in fucking Afghanistan. He's restraining me. He's like, why are you here? You shouldn't be here trying to cover me. Like, like as if we're like, 
in a bunker or something. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me that flashing back to my issues with sexual trauma in the military and being raped, that was a very difficult situation because I realized that my partner was stronger to me in his mind. We were not in his bedroom. We were in Afghanistan. And I, the last thing I wanted to do was make it worse, but I also was heavily triggered, like violently. And so that was a really hard spot. That was a hard spot. That actually was what I think is going off our breakup because I was like, hey, you got to handle that, man. I'm not saying that we're perfect, but I really need you to handle that. That Because I work hard to handle my PTSD. And I don't like come up and hit you with a bag of with a bottle. Because <laughs> you know? like you look like mm-hmm. someone, like I don't do that. So I really prefer if you don't do that or if you minimize your drinking. That didn't go too well. We broke up like a month later. So... It, it was something that I had to really work on. Like I would say right now, my current partner, I don't feel that way. I think that when we do feel triggered or things are going on, we can communicate it very well. Even if it's really hot, we communicate very well. And we try not to make it happen again because of the sensitivities. Like I have so many layers of things psychologically going on. One thing can spin off another thing. And then like, here comes, I would say the ASPD monster. Like the one that's been like, I'm always like this all the time, but it can go really left if I feel like something's going left. And so, like, it's really, like, preferable not to have my PTC be triggered. I've worked really hard to prevent that. Yeah, no, I mean, that, I don't even know how. So, for people who, their frame of reference is PTSD through Grey's Anatomy, when Owen attacked Christina and the scene of Grey's Anatomy due to, you know, trauma and all those things. Like, that's a whole different, it's think of that, but Christina also had PTSD. And then they're like, there's just... Like, how do you find the time? It, it really depends on the person mm-hmm. who has the most coping mechanism to manage. Because I don't know how to cope with what was going on in my head. I also had to, like, manage the, the situation. Like, I was the, like, the most sober. I was the person that had the most coping mechanisms available to me, the most therapy. So I was really responsible for the situation. As crazy as it sounds, I had to mm-hmm. figure out what was best to do the situation without making this man think I'm now a terrorist. I, I, I Like, how did you manage that? And that was... Something that I was like, what I, the last thing I want to do is have a child by someone who hasn't managed this yet. Mm-hmm. Nothing against anyone who has PTSD like myself, but I cannot bring a child into this world with someone who's going through flashbacks that often. That's not mm-hmm. good for no. Yeah, no, and it's because it's not just like about you. It's a safety and security issue as well as yeah. we navigate through this process. So that makes sense to me mm-hmm. because... I feel like that's just a reasonable way of looking at things. And it, it also plays into a conversation I've had recently about when are you healed enough to engage in relationships, to do mm. sorts of things like this. Like there's this conversation that's being had about healing and who is healed enough and who is not healed enough. And this was spawned uh, by a discussion with Cherie Calico of um, mm. Black Culture Diversity Alliance and Black Poly Pride, where there was a post that someone made talking about being able to talk to your ex or be able to talk to your current partners about trauma in your past relationships. And there were a lot of comments where people were just like, oh, if you're still like talking about trauma with an ex, like you need to not be in a relationship. You need to not be with someone. And I was just kind of, or you're just letting someone know where you're at, what's happened. It's not bad mouthing an ex to talk about trauma that happened in a past relationship. There's a difference between communicating effectively with a partner and bad mouthing an ex partner. And I think that line is somewhere lost somewhere. Like when you're telling me the story, there's some people who I know are going to be like, oh, she bad mouthing her ex on this podcast talking about his business. I'm like, no, you're just communicating something that happened that was traumatic yeah. for you. You're welcome to, I, I also, I don't care. Um, like, you know, like, and it, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's important for me to communicate these things because I don't like repeats. I don't have the 
I, I, I had a severe breakdown of all my personality disorders and all mental illnesses when one time a few years, more than a few years, 2016. And I realized that the brain is a muscle and it only takes but so much. And I realized I could not take another breakdown like that. That was not going to work for me psychologically. I was going to be in prison. So with that said, <laughs> I decided that it wasn't going to be what I was going to do. So I like to communicate that with my partners. And I want them to try and talk to me about it if they are comfortable. But I know a lot of times we're not comfortable talking with their exes. I like to know because I'm nosy. And I wonder what's going on. I wonder what's going on. I want to know because sometimes people talk about stuff, the way they talk about it can also tell you how they feel about it. Because if someone thinks that they were wrong when their ex was beat up on them, I need to know that. I know you need to unpack that needs to be unpacked. So I need to know that you need to set boundaries for yourself. If you don't really understand what boundaries are, yeah, I hear you're when you're discussing, you don't know how you're sitting around, you don't need to date me. I am a habitual boundary overstepper because of my ASPD, because of my manipulation. So I need you to set boundaries for yourself. Because if I switch up one day, it's not switching up, guys. More like dropping the mask. And I'm like, ah, like I, I really need you to have those things in place for yourself to protect yourself. If you want to hear that, like we have to protect yourself from your partner, you should probably protect yourself from anyone. Yeah, people protect yourself from their kids. People have boundaries with their children. You should have yeah. boundaries with your, your spouses or anyone else. I know I, I know we live in this fantastical world that everyone is perfect and no one ever do any bad to you, which is cute and nice, but it's not logical. It's not. So I think you should have boundaries. If I hear someone that have boundaries are not good at setting boundaries or don't know when something's too much, I am not the person to date. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to like a, a fist fight with me. I'm not saying at all, but I need you to know when enough is too much for you. Like when you have enough, like you need to be able to explain that and set that boundary for yourself. Yeah, so. no, that's very true. Like being able to manage your own boundaries, I think is something everyone should be working on. And like you said, there there is a subcontext where it's like to prevent yourself from harm, but also just to stand your own ground in situations. Because sometimes someone crossing a boundary can be something small. And, yeah. but once you give them that permission, once you give them that in, they can continue to do and make bigger steps and bigger steps, line stepping until they get to a point where your boundaries are completely eroded and you're caught out here in a situation you didn't want to be in. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, that's something that we need to talk about some more. Just throwing that out there for the future, just for people who are listening, that's something that we need to reference a bit more. Just think about that. It's for yourself, guys. Do it. You deserve it. You deserve it. Like, it's not about someone else. It's about you. You deserve to be able to do this. Don't let you mess around finding out you're doing something you don't want to do. I don't want to be having my friend unpack their house on Saturday when they knew I had something to do that day. Yeah, because you didn't set no boundaries, bro. Come on. Yeah. So do you find that you have, like, very firm boundaries? That's, like, generally? Yeah. Just, like, related to your personality disorder as well. You're just, yeah, these are my boundaries. This is what they are. I'm not going to cross over them. This yes. is what it is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> very and, aggressive. Very aggressive. And if I don't stick to a boundary, there's a great chance I'm trying to manipulate somebody. I think people should. If I don't stick to a boundary that I've explicitly said or expressed or communicated, there's a great chance that I'm manipulating you. I know people are like, how's that happen? People use boundaries to manipulate. Some people set boundaries to form something. If you break a boundary of mine and it's actually something really serious to me and I'm still around you, that's not good. <laughs> Say anything about it, that's not good. I know that about myself. This is me for myself. It's not every person with a personality disorder, but it's just me. So, yeah, I, I do set very strong boundaries. I'm very like about them because they haven't proven me wrong yet, I haven't lost anything by sticking to them. I protect my peace and been able to maintain a pretty healthy mind for the most part. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. All it sounds like you've accomplished a lot of work through 
learning about yourself and therapy. Shout out to all the therapists out there who are actively helping their clients. Notice I said specifically therapists who are actively helping people. Nah, some of these bitches be out here not helping nobody. Okay. So I was like, uh, how does it make you feel? Like, I, I need you to give me some coping mechanisms. Like, like, I need some CBT therapy, man. I need help. Help me. Like, I'm paying on this yeah. damn money. No, I will give the, the military their little half two cents, I guess. I have some pretty good psychologists. I mean, I don't want to give them that. But psychologists like, yeah, you, you wrap too tight. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Something good came out of this entire experience. That half a cent really counts to something. Like, oh, I'll see you. here's your list of mental disorders. Oh. Those won't go away? No. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I'll take the whole list. Yeah. 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 At a certain point. So, again, I only have the depression and the anxiety. I guess I'm also very good at masking in some ways when it comes to that. Yeah. Because depression mask very freaking well. Probably <laughs> the masters are masking. <laughs> the masters are masking, I think. Um, yeah. So like I had one therapist tell me like, oh, I just think that you're, I don't really think you're like really depressed. I just think that you see something going on. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, thanks so much for telling me that. And I just went on it's about my day. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is an accomplishment to me. No one believes you. Yes. But also, no, this is horrifying. People probably should believe you because something could happen. Yeah. Masking, masking is when people have these things where they trigger warning when they find out that someone has committed suicide. And they didn't know. Oh, I thought he was, he seemed so fine. He was happy the other day. I'm like, wow, the mask was a mess. Robin Williams, prop example, everyone was like, so much. Well, like, oh, here we go. I'm like, masking. It's yeah. for different guys. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's baffling. Like, when you really think about it, and then I think about how I can bring that into my relationship sometimes and how I can show up in certain ways. And it's also just because a part of me doesn't want to overwhelm my partner sometimes with like how deep and dark the thoughts go and how anxious I really can be. So for people who know me really well, like I said, season three is about vulnerability. So I'm being super vulnerable. I don't sleep well. I have not slept well for probably 20 years of my life. I do not sleep well. I'm always waking up in the middle of the night. It's like my body, my body has somehow trained itself to do this, whether it's to go to the bathroom or whatever, I will never just lie there and sleep for hours. That does not happen for more than three hours max. And even, so it's, and it took me a long time to realize, bitch, that's your anxiety. It is the anxiety, your body, your brain is always doing this thing. I was on. That is, that's what's going on with you. And he said, oh, you, you'll be fine because I don't show up as an anxious person in the world. No one believes I'm anxious. They're just kind of, oh, Jen is just, she's just a stickler for the sort of thing. Like she cares about showing up on time. She's just a punctual person. They don't know that I have literally like, when I send you a message, I'm going to be two minutes late that I'm literally shaking. I'm like, oh, okay. It's fine. It's only two minutes. They'll understand. They'll be okay. Or maybe they won't be okay. Or maybe catastrophizing to the, the two worlds end. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like over two minutes. And by the way, I'm usually always on time or early, even if I'm sending you a late message. Chances are 99% of the time I'm showing up on time. <laughs> and, but that's just too, that's just too close for comfort for me. If I'm not early, this is not okay. Yeah. And, yeah. I, okay. I, I, I arrive when I get there, brother. Okay. <laughs> when you see me, you see, I am notoriously late for work. Not notoriously late. I don't say that. I just, just don't care. <laughs> you show up when you're meant to. You show up yeah, when you're meant that, to. Yeah, that's I mean, how I put I, it. I, but it's not, it's a manifest in that manner. I think it's more, I just don't. That's the ASPD king more that I don't care enough. 
but it, it's a draining. It's a character draining. Your brain's always awake. But I yeah. do have anxiety, heaven rooted in my OCPD because if, if it's not done a certain way, it's wrong. If it's not done, so if you don't make it this way, it's wrong. It's inherently wrong. Like you're wrong. Like in that crazy, like we can both make cake. The cake was exactly the same, taste the same. But if you do your cake different, I will say you're wrong. It's wrong. And I will stay awake at night thinking about that. I'll have to stay awake at night thinking about yeah. that was wrong. You didn't clear aircraft the way I did. You're wrong. And I fucking, I have a list on my phone. If you, I have a list. All my content is a list. It's a list. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking list. It's very uh, draining. But masking does show up in your relationships. I think that's one of the things I'm still working on. Is like I don't want to. One of my partners, really, he's very transparent with me, and some of the things that go on in my head. Huh, <laughs> ASPD, PTSD, depression, anxiety, OCPD. All these things are very dark. They can get very dark. I've had issues with. I know people not want to hear this, but it is something people do in our space to suffer from suicidal and homicidal ideation. That is something that is not easy to describe. People can more easily describe suicidal ideation and homicidal ideation, right? Because of obvious mm-hmm. reasons, right? These are things that they exist. They happen. Doesn't mean people are going to act on it. That's why I tell them that it's like a spectrum, right? It's just like invasive thoughts. Like those things are really big issues, and it's really frustrating when you have when you have the mass that. You can't tell your partner how you feel right now. Like, oh yeah, everyone do the guy right now. Like, you can, you can, but it's like, is it like time? Yeah. Do you know, this at four o'clock in the morning when they're like hanging out with you. I don't know who wants to hear that when I eat breakfast. I don't. No one wants to hear that shit. I probably do. I probably want to hear about the house. <laughs> like, but that, that's a, that's to me specific thing. So <laughs> yeah. I figure. You can tell my mask is masked in humor. So I tell yeah. you, fuck, I want to kill that motherfucker. Can you imagine the disrespect? And I can make it funny. But it doesn't mean that yeah. I haven't actively thought of how I'm going to do this thing. Yeah, no, exactly. That's like, that's usually at the beginning and the end. And everyone's, oh my God, I have like, like, relax, relax. But it's so taboo. It's so taboo. And then because, yeah, people have said it and then they've done it. And it's like kind of dark. Like, that goes lovely. I get that. But I think like the lack of communication, lack of understanding, lack of destigmatizing those thoughts and making, not necessarily making a lot of them, but like talking it out a little bit. Like, why do you feel that way? Like, why do you think this is logical to do? Like, you know, whatever. Logic is touchy. But yeah. It, it it does make it more comfortable. I definitely have had not, I have not, still don't feel comfortable necessarily bringing up those, all those dolls. I'm comfortable talking about them that they just, I'm not necessarily comfortable bringing them up every time because I have the disorder that people think does it. So I'd rather not talk about it. I mean, oh, she said this and she's going to go do it. Like, Jesus, damn, I, I didn't even do it. I just, what about it. your beef Wellington? That's why I have to be like, I want my good tail. I, I want my, I cannot have people sitting in prison. I've seen when they make those little Frito cups. I don't want that chili Frito shit. I don't want that shit. I don't want to make soup out of a toilet bowl. I don't want that shit. No, that's dead. I think if you get caught for that, it's terrible. It's a terrible experience. I don't want it. I don't want to fight in prison. I'm tired. I'm old. I don't want to do that. Like, yeah. rather not. If you go to prison, something wrong with that. I just, I just can't do it. Not for me. Not for this person. Not this person. <laughs> so I have a question for you that's off the wall. It's yeah. a question that's been asked me a lot recently, like on surveys, like personality kind of test. If you could describe yourself as an animal, what animal would you say you'd be? A shark. Shark. Okay. So you don't bother nobody just to be out here doing the thing, biting yeah, people I, when I they get I, in your face? Sharks, sharks mind their business. They do what they need to do. They got to be curious and bite something. That wasn't what I wanted to be. And everyone's like, oh my God, this shark tried to kill 15 people. Like, no, the shark was just hungry. He tried something out. It wasn't work for him. It's moved on. Obviously, I have to take sharks to be taken out by dolphins. So I think that there's people who can really have a friend that's really empathetic. She's one of my closest friends. She's really empathetic and she's, but she has, not but she has, she has multiple personality disorder. So there's personality she has. It just works. If well, I don't know why it fucking works. 
And that she reminds me of a dolphin. She reminds me of a dolphin. So like, there's times where I have any limiter. She's like the limiter. She's like the one. That's, she's the only one I can say some things to. And people are like, okay, like yeah, that's not. Don't do that. Like, everyone else is like, oh yeah. What'd you say? Like, your shark. Shark does shark shit. <laughs> like you know. Yeah. It's the shark shit and the shark. But a shark is like it's more dangerous animals in the ocean, like the killer whale, but whatever. Listen, it's it's name is a killer whale, but we all watch Free Willy and somehow we believe those shits are cool. Listen, and I'm also here to let people know dolphins are murderers. Dolphins kill each other for fun. They kill other animals and rape other animals and each other for sport. Dolphins are the closest thing to humans that you will get in the sea world, okay? And this is killer whales also do some similar shit. Orcas do the same fucking shit. I like they're starting my fucking business. Trying to get away from the I'm right? the victim. I'm the victim of the of the empathetic dolphins. <laughs> you are. No, like no, but like seriously, like you are. So I asked my friends this question about me, and my friend's like a black house cat. And I was like, oh, why a house cat? Then I was like, oh, but like outside, that's gross. She's like, you just answered your own fucking <laughs> question, bitch. <laughs> outside is gross. <laughs> that's why. You know, living if if I could live that life of leisure that a black house cat does, I would be I'd be blissed the fuck out. I get to do whatever I want. They feed me when I'm hungry. They bathe me when I want to be bathed. This sounds perfect. I was cast have the have the light bang a lot. <laughs> I did say I also felt like the dragon from Shrek though. So that was also like another thing. <laughs> so I'm just in my den with my horde, and when you bother me, then I try to eat you. But otherwise well, I'm just by myself. I think about like cartoon characters. I think that like I remind myself of like um it is a terrible comparison. Oh, it's so terrible within reason. There's some things I don't identify with, like Bojack Horseman. I like him because Bojack Horseman is real. Like I was like, oh, I can, I've been there, Bojack. I've been on that that binge, buddy. Like, <laughs> you know, I've been there. So I think, I yeah, but I did through a shark and then possibly give or take some form of Bojack Horseman, some form. And the okay. character from Midnight Gospel, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that tracks. That makes sense. <laughs> So I guess now we're getting a little loose. We've gotten deep a little bit. We're we're getting there with each other and with all the listeners and watchers out there. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Look at how beautiful we look. You're welcome. You're talking about this transition. You're in this period in your life. You're getting out of Hawaii. You're out of the military. You're in this space. You're not trying to really date right now. And if it happens, I guess it just happens. Like people just say never say never because then someone will fucking come along and try to prove you wrong just because yeah, yeah. so we, we're out here trying to do things so how is this transition going for you like you're actively in this space of transition how is that showing up for you like polyamorously well aside from your relationships ending do you think there's anything happening right now that will affect future polyamorous relationships yes and no i think i don't know i, I think it i think it will affect how i want you in my space my space is more expensive now, not necessarily in terms of fighting, but in terms of like quality of person. I think I was finding people that I really enjoyed, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm okay with that. But I realized that I am heavily rooted in investment based, and that might be a byproduct of my ASPD, finding worth in people. It might be how I perceive people, which is if you hear my partner back, I'm speaking French. That, that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. Listen, we're all at home. Somehow I am not in Hawaii right now because I'm not allowed to go because Hawaii can't take any more people. I know. I listen to native Hawaiians, okay? I listen to them. They tell me don't fucking come. I'm not going to go. I've wanted to go to Hawaii since I was That's a fucking why I'm kid. Leave. I feel bad. No, I, I, I was, it's not funny. It's not funny. But it is also funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> also kind of funny. Every time I think about 
how loud he talks and his language. I'm like, why do people from different countries talk so loud to their friends on phone? If someone is, hi, man, how you doing? I'm like, speak your phone. You don't have to yell at the bed. Anyways, new year there. Yeah, I do think that it's going to be one of those things where I feel like there's a, a form of investment in my space. I have seen that there's people who I, I did not find useful. And that is really rooted in my ASPD. I'm not going to sit here. It's not it's the form of classism. It's not a form of like me objectifying you. If there's no use, why are you here? That's literally how I how I interact. This is literally the root of my ASPD. Is if you don't have use, why are you present? My ex-husband's his ASPD was everyone is useful, which is very manipulative, right? So that's really like mm-hmm. me. I, you don't have use, why are you present? And I realized that I was in some form of fashion trying to feel like I can stretch myself out like that. It was not logical. It was terrible. So I think in the future, what I'm doing now, especially since just, I'm investing so much in myself. I'm investing in my career. I'm, you know, going to places. I don't want to be the only Negro moving trains in the backwoods of Texas, but I'll do it 400K. Okay, so like you know, like I'll be good. How do I get certified? Because I need to do that too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not that easy. It's not that hard actually. It's not that hard. It's actually easier than answer to them. But how you doing? But how you doing today? That's great. That's great. Yeah, I heard you. Your wife bought some cake. Thank you, man. Thank you. I will be back there getting my motherfucking check. But I realized because of all the things I've done, I've invested in myself so much. I have put so much time i took i was two and a half years was rooted in my mental health in the past 10 years i literally spent two and a half years focused on my mental health because i knew that i was a liability if you have not done that with yourself i understand it's a privilege for some people i'm not going to argue that but i am not going to put myself in a position where to be around so i think if anything it's going to be more difficult all right i just understand that i my i understand my position i understand that i have my dry lane i understand that people have some expectations of me and that i also know people are they will attach themselves to me just because of my account and my position in the community. And that is something that I have to accept whether I want to or not. And so I would have to be even more careful about who I bring around to me and who I want to date because I don't want that person to try to get close to me, to expose me. I don't like that. I don't know if that makes sense what I'm trying to say. I, I just don't want that. So I think yeah. in the position stage, especially because it's so uncomfortable for me, I do not like the idea of making less money. I do not like the idea of having to accommodate my lifestyle. I don't like the idea of moving to a state that has anti-trans laws what the fuck like anti-abortion laws anti-trans law like I, that means if i get pregnant i have to have the motherfucking child so yeah that's where i'm at right now so let's talk being marjani lane like that mm. online persona that you have created which has like thousands of followers filled with tons of people i mean from an outside looking in of course there's a part of us that always think that influencers aren't real people so mm. thank you so much for being a real person here and not just some but on the internet so let's talk about building that presence what drove you to build that online presence as marjani lane so this is i uh, marjani lane is deeper than marjani lane online marjani lane is something that was born out of a headspace that i a spiritual headspace i created for myself just under just under a decade ago i will one day when i'm in a position of privilege to talk about that headspace maybe you've heard me dabble about it in the group before about what i used to do and when i come out about it verbally i will one day but that time is not now so that headspace was created from that marjani lane is really rooted in like um the swahili for coral and i like coral because it's like a very fragile but very sharp it's very sharp it's very uh, has a very distinct color about it, it the environment around it affects it can create a home for things it's just very interesting i like coral marjani lane is like very important to me 
it's like I said, it's deeper than polyamorous. It's much deeper than polyamorous. It's like a spiritual journey for me. And I created my journey lane out of a, 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 a position of need to identify with my queerness and my femininity. That was not afforded to me, especially with the Africanness. That was not, that's not, it exists, but I hadn't seen it until now with more education and access. I didn't know that there was African queer Parisha. I didn't know that there was African queer like voodoo, like deities. I didn't know that was a fucking thing. I didn't know, I didn't know. And so now that I'm here, I'm like, yes, this is what I wanted. <laughs> and so my journey yeah. kind of was born out of a safe space for me. Um, Creating it for polyamory, non-monogamy was even more spiritual journey because I felt like opening myself up, especially as someone who had dealt with so much trauma and someone who has these personality disorders, who has these positions where I feel like maybe I'm not in a position to be able to love because people told me that we can't love. I've been told so many times that people with social past can't love and that, that's wild to me. Yeah, there's a spectrum. Some of us are a little more difficult to find that headspace, but it's not like I can't love. That's wild. It's crazy. So I made it out of, we originally, Marjani Lane, even on Facebook, you could see my face. You only saw like from the cheer down and I did it on purpose because I was in the military I was married in the military and I, my prior partner was someone who was a higher rank to me a much higher rank than me in the military should not have been in this person and I had to protect my identity but also it played into the idea of me being anonymous when I made it on the Instagram it definitely was something I had to do because I was tired of seeing so many accounts focused on polyamory non-monogamy that was only focused on white people and then if mm -hmm. it was a black person we were the token which is like my worst nightmare in the world and i wanted to hear something i was tired of looking at that i was tired like i was like hey man, who wants to see that every day like you talk about polyamory in every account this is a white person and i'm not white so i can't identify with some of the the ins and outs of that space and that was even more of a more like an extension of marjani lane's love like that polyamorous like want to love and and, and be able to love multiple people, even if it's not necessarily the way you want to be loved, I can be sure I feel like I'm loving you. I'm not trying to hurt you. <laughs> I'm just loving you. So my content is to me ascension of, even though I have my own things, it's ascension of my love. I can't love everybody. I know, but it's ascension of my love, like my love of polyamory, my love of Africanness, my love of diaspora, my love to make sure we have a place at the table. And that means that I got to kick down a few, um, like liberal, queer, white people because they're racist and they haven't practiced it yet, then I have no problem. I have no problem being that person holding the sword. I don't. I have no problem being the person. So that was my journey lane. I obviously it's much deeper than that. <laughs> like I said, yeah. But it is is a really serious thing for me, having that time, breaking on that content and making content accessible. Like it's not just like putting the fucking piece of content online. It's everyone didn't go to college. Everyone didn't go to Ivy League or go to the best high school. So sometimes some of the content that's out there is not, the language is not conducive or understandable for people who didn't have the education access. So yeah, if you're using things like freaking infinitesimal and like intersectionality and you don't explain what those words mean, it could throw someone completely off and just, and turn them off from what the, the, the polyamory is not only for middle-class white people who went to college. It's not. But right now the content reflects that. So mm -hmm. that's what my journey is at. That's the background and where I'm at, where my headspace at when I make my journey and stuff. No, and I love it. Like I said, you distill concepts in such a way that makes it available for anyone to understand. And I appreciated that so much because just culturally coming from Jamaica, like all these big terms, we didn't learn any of this motherfucking shit about non-monogamy and polyamory and the terms in school or any of that stuff. And there are some people whose content I have found a bit too highbrow in that way. Like it's, yeah, it's targeting a certain group of people that I'm not in. 
And so even like through having the space and like having access to those people, sometimes I'm like, listen, uh, talk to me like I'm stupid. Explain this to me like you're explaining it to your child. What are you trying to say? Because some of this shit don't make no sense to me. All the words you use don't make no sense. Like the math is not, the synapses are not firing, shit's not clicking. And I also feel as if you're not able to distill your concepts down, like the way you have, or even in a way that other people, the lay person, quote unquote, can understand it, then it's not accessible to anyone, not even people at your own level. If you can't explain to your grandmother what you do or what you're talking about, and your grandmother is like 94, very like old row, whatever. You can't explain this to her in a way she understands. Are you effectively communicating what your stance is, what your project is about, what you're trying to do? Which is why there's some people, people are always messaging like, oh, have you had this person? Why haven't you had their, ah, oh, they're so great. I was like, because I don't understand what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't have to be this like super, and it's funny, I've been called a poly elite before because I do express the need for communication and using words to describe what the fuck is going on. I think you should use words to describe what the fuck is going on. If you can talk and you can use your language to describe what the fuck is going on, why the fuck not? Like, why not? But I think that some of the content that exists is obviously very white-centered, very white ally-centered. Let me state that, very ally-centered. And then, so it's, oh yeah, I care about the brown people, so let me put a little link. Okay, I did it. So I care about brown people. And then it goes into this, like, the language, and I still, I'm still really disgusted with how fluid bonding got turned into transphobia. Like, I'm still trying to figure out how that stretch was made of transphobia or to... Wait, what? <laughs> yes, I've had people tell me that the word fluid bonding is transphobic. I've had people tell me that fluid bonding is somehow, some way, it means that people who've been sexually assaulted, that they bonded with their assaulter. And I'm like, you guys are really jumping through hoops for this right now. Because I just feel like fluid bonding and fluid exchange arguably are the same and not the same. And I feel like because there was nobody black at the table this word mm -hmm. when we start changing our mind about it that's how it left full bonding can be very deep for people in the black community and the african diaspora because of things that someone's doing with spirituality that's why i made a huge post about that because there is no discussion i don't want black people that can't use fluid bonding because god forbid someone tell them they're transphobic that has nothing to, i don't even think that's anything to do with it. i don't even know how that structure how this was made but it was made but that's because there was no one black at the table there's no one black at the table who is, and it's nothing against anyone who is Christian or yet, but there's no one black at the table who was like decolonizing themselves and was able to say, hey, like, I see why you guys feel that way, but this word may mean different to someone else. Like someone who's a polyamorous person, a uh, black or African person who is polyamorous, who is navigating spirituality, African spirituality or their culture spirituality, fluid bonding would be the perfect word to describe what they're doing in a relationship, while fluid change would be better for something else. And the fact that word was ripped to pieces by the white community to me is absolutely hysterical. Like they, they just took it apart and I'm like, this is because no one black has been present. There's so many different things I've noticed that even if they I was talking and it's able to shift and someone's like, no, this is a one night stand. I'm like, okay, I know a lot of black people who have inestable shifts, not no shrinks attached shifts, and they're not one night stands. And I had to explain to this person mm -hmm. that, hey, this is your white rendition of this. And it's along with that, it's how you see it, but they this is a black page. I, I, it doesn't mean that non-black you can't come, but just understand at the end of the day why I made this page. It wasn't for you. It was for black because you guys don't make pages for us. No one made it for us mm -hmm. because we're not on any content. We're not in any videos. We're not there. So we're talking, shoving, and jiving, doing little fucking dance with people. Like no one cares about the black content creators or black influencers as well as the non-monogamy. They don't. I'm not going to fucking put it up. They don't fucking care. 
They don't fucking care. And when they do care, it's just like a little, oh, I put some paprika on my steak today. That type of mm-hmm. shit. Oh, like, spicy. Like a little spice in life. And so I, that's why I'm going to try one. And I'm going to keep doing that. I think that there's so much more for me to impact with how whiteness has affected our access to non-monogamy. Like, it just... Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You're very right. I actually had a conversation with someone today who's from Ghana and, you know, talking about, he was like, oh yeah, my dad had like seven wives. My uncle had like eight wives. Like, this is like standard. And he talks about like, yeah, like the Maasai tribe. I noticed this. And he's like, yeah, this shit has been going on. This is my whole life. I've, everyone that I can track in my family tree has done this kind of non-monogamous relating. And this is what that looks like. And he was like, yeah. And you live at home until you're married, even as a man. Because when you turn 18, your father starts talking to you about how to manage a household with multiple wives and how that happens. And when you bring women at home back to the house, they will let you know, you know, this one might not be the right one for you. Or they will let the woman know, "Uh uh-uh, my son is not right for you at this point in time, but Mm -hmm. like circle back in a little bit of time. You know what I'm saying? And so it was very interesting hearing this perspective of someone who is from Ghana, born and raised, came to the U.S. as like an adult, getting used to this kind of environment that we have around non-monogamy and polyamory and hearing his experiences and those of like his family members and the things that they had talked about growing up and like the history of the culture and i was like fuck what shit am i doing over here then i'm in the wrong place yeah no i had here my partner he's from the ivory coast and like some of this he's like yeah i know about like polyamory like more specifically polygamy and i saw that so you know something only knows about collision he's like no like there's women that have husbands where I'm from it's not a lot it's not as many of course but it's like it happens and I'm like interesting I knew but it's interesting hearing someone like say yeah like I fucking know someone like aunt has two husbands like oh my god what the and it not being like this I'm sure there's some hysterics around it in some places I'm not gonna deny that but like it not being like this hysterical thing or having these homes where there's like compounds or people are living together or, or they live in different own homes like this idea that everyone has to live in the same fucking little two-door apartment Two two room apartment with six people that's dead that's dead no like it's not that's not what's going on like and having these wives having standards like these wives sitting upstairs like yeah I'm gonna be a multiple wife I'm gonna be a third wife then you gotta pay this A B C and D do this A B C and D yeah there's a lot of decolonization has to come out of of non-monogamy and I think that's a lot of reason why I get sick when I see so many white influencers make money off of the pain and the exploitation of black and brown um, people who were already doing it before they were not saying that the Vikings did not have multiple Mm -hmm. wives saying that I'm not talking with them today. Because the Vikings were not the ones that were influencing general American and European culture. Let's be fucking honest here. Okay. I mean, so don't tell the crackers that, because they'd be surprised. <laughs> like, like no, 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 you always represent this one group of people who were like being wiped out by the English every two weeks. Like, every time when they were coming raised, I'm like, yeah, kill them all, kill them all. Like, they were killing these people for nothing. Like, their land was like, they hated the deals. I don't know what it was. So, with that said, I realize there's so much to undo and unpack, and even now I'm really on that journey of looking at how it happened, like how did that affect Black people's access to non-monogamy, and why I have such a big issue sometimes with non-monogamy being forefronted by white bodies. I have a big issue with it. Sorry, I just have a big issue with it. I mean, I, I why one of my friends in Hawaiian told me that in Hawaii, it's an island called Fort Island. I used to work there when back in the day before the the white came and ruined everything when there was a couples that could not procreate they had a hard time having children they would send them all to the island and then they would come back like a day or two later 
and usually like a few weeks later the woman will be pregnant and so i was like what the fuck was on the island she said they just literally have group sex listen they must breed somehow they must have a baby somehow they were swapping spouses essentially because it was whoever was infertile somehow somewhere gonna figure it out but we're not it it doesn't matter someone needs to have children what are we talking about like the men it's just so much even just how queerness was just fucking wiped the fuck out by European influence. So yeah, I have a big issue with it. Mm-hmm. Sure do, and I'm gonna talk about it. I don't care if you should come to it. Sure make you come to it. Where you know, monogamy for you, may, it may be how you feel, but like, yeah, it's all about the black bodies and brown bodies who were literally beaten and killed for doing it. Like we have African people who were told to give up their wives when the, minist- the ministries came and missionaries came. And when they gave up their wives, where did wives and kids go? That's your first talking you're talking about breaking up the black family with feminism. My brother, man, you're a little too late on that one, buddy. <laughs> it goes back further than that. But what these women are supposed to do, especially when these jobs were focused, a lot of that, even the focus of work was became very gendered. Like it's just so much to unpack with it. And I really that's why I want my dry land is the way it does to give black people understand like we didn't this is not a new story for us. It's not our first time, it's not our first words, guys. We belong here. Yes, of course. Listen, thank you so much for being vulnerable, open, sharing all this amazing stuff. It's like, oh, super exciting. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? And maybe I'll bring you back again another time. We can talk about more stuff as you continue your decolonization process. And so will I. Yep. So you guys can follow me on Instagram. That is my primary platform. I also have a TikTok. Uh, pretty much everything you see on my Instagram's reels is going to be on my TikTok. I have a Facebook page. Everything's under the same name, Marjorie Lane, with without a space more than like because it's the user's name. So TikTok, Facebook page, Instagram. <laughs> uh, I have a Patreon I'm working on right now. I have been had it for a while, but I'm actually going to start like putting more time and energy into it, guys. I would probably say my focal point, my like my website is MarjorieLane.com. So it's everything's the same. It's, it's the same everywhere. So hopefully, it should be easy for everyone to find. Yes, yes. And of course, I'll put all the links to where to find Marjani Lane in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for being here and have a great evening, y'all. We'll catch you next time. (laughs) Once again, I'd love to thank Marjani for agreeing to appear on the podcast to talk about these deeply personal, vulnerable topics. The detailed show notes are available at monogamishpod.com. Include the links to where you can find Marjani. And of course, some highlights and tidbits from the episode, including definitions for some of the terms that we discussed. So now that I've told you all of those things, let's talk about how you can find Monogamish Pod out there in the internetverse. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monogamish Pod. Yeah, I, I know Facebook isn't exactly at Monogamish Pod, but if you are on Facebook and you're making a status and you type the app button and you type, it's the, it comes up comes up we tag people the same way across everything now wild isn't that you can also find on youtube we have a youtube channel where we post the videos from the episodes that's going to be youtube.com and just search in your search bar nagwishpod and you shall find us no i don't have a customized url yet apparently you have to be super famous to get one of those wild (laughs) also you can listen to Pod wherever you get your podcasts apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, podbean podbay Podchaser, Spotify, Anchor, of course, which is where we are hosted. And you can write reviews for the podcast on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts and rate us on all three, the Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Spotify. 
you can tell your friends about Monogamish Pod and share the episodes. That's super great. And you can also support the pod financially if you so desire. You can subscribe to the Patreon where you get bonus episodes, photos, bloopers, special blog posts that I write that are a little bit intimate, access to the close friends list, access to the Discord server. There's a lot of things you get by being a patron. So sign up today, patreon.com slash monogamishpod. It is an 18 plus platform, so you have to type it in that way because you can't just search it. Sucks, right? <laughs> you can head on over to the merch shop monogamishpod.threadless.com or clicking the shop button on the monogamishpod.com site where you can get mugs, tote bags, shirts, books, masks, a lot of great things. Cups too. Did I say mugs? I did say mugs. Whoops. Stickers, magnets, all that on the merch shop. You can do that. You can also support the pod financially using Anchor support. So if you listen to us on Anchor, just press the support button. You can subscribe for as low as 99 cents a month. You can just support for like less than a dollar wild every mickle mechamuckle the other thing going on in the world of course is that we have a monogamish pod newsletter which will be coming out monthly the first edition dropped on april 30th so if you have not read it yet you should absolutely do that head on over to monogamishpod.substack.com to subscribe today links to all these of course in the detail show notes on the website you can also find me personally out there on the internet on just girls gone wild kind of shit talking about things <laughs> not actually girls gone wild but you know what i mean head on over to twitter or instagram at have you met jen you can find me there posting things about books that i've read or just sharing thinky thoughts because that's apparently something i do now and all the time but also now so that's all that i really have for you today i don't want to detract too much from the episode and also this episode was kind of a long one I've told you all the basics. Just head on over to monogamishpod.com and you can check the detailed show notes for this episode and it will have everything you may have missed. Once again, I'm Jen and this has been Monogamish Pod. Have a great night, y'all.